Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Grandparents, at Vanguard, you're more than just a grandparent. You're the family historians. You fill your closets with heirlooms, family photos, and letters from long ago. You're always planning the next family reunion, even at the reunion. Because for you, time well spent is time spent on them. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Because the future you're building is bigger than yourself. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of the Hawks Talk Podcast, an all-thing Atlanta Hawks podcast hosted by two lifelong Hawks fans. As always, I am Jackson, not joined today by Logan as we are doing a draft check-in episode, but instead I am joined by Garrett of thelooneybin.com. Garrett, how are you doing? Great, Jackson. How are you doing? I am doing good. This is your first podcast appearance on Hawks Talks. I'm very excited to have you on. You're you're one of my go-to guys for the draft, you know. You're also a good know, friend of mine. It. So I'm excited to talk about the draft. You know, we're about a... And we're a few months in the draft season now. We're like, what, two or three months in now? Yeah, I guess like some people get, get started early. I, I definitely like got really into it once college season started. So I'm deep into it now. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm I'm a lot more deep into it than last year. Like last year, I mean, the Hawks obviously were doing you know better they are now. So I really wasn't paying attention to the draft. You know, my focus was elsewhere. But this year, you know, the Hawks are not the best. So my attention has been on the draft. I know a lot going on in the draft world. But I got to ask you something. The first thing I want to talk about today, the most pressing thing we need to talk about in regards to the draft. Okay. For sure, sure. All right. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna give you the scenario right now. You're the GM of the team who has the number one pick. You're making the pick right this instant. Who are you taking at number one? This is the question I'm least equipped to answer despite how much I've watched. I am so... My mind is still spinning on who I'm going to have number one. Uh, I think there's three candidates. I at least know that I feel comfortable saying there's three. Uh, it's Paolo Bancaro at Duke and Jaden Ivey at Purdue, Jabari Smith Jr. at Auburn. But, like, my mind just keeps going back and forth. Uh, like, Jaden Ivey was turning up at the beginning of the season. Uh, he looks amazing. I'm still a huge Jaden Ivey fan. But, uh, you know, once the hype has died down a little bit, I'm actually, like, starting to view his flaws, and I'm, like, not ready to be the hot take guy who has him number one, I think. Uh, Paolo Boncaro is obviously, like, I mean, anyone who watches him can see that he's number one pick material. But, uh, I don't know. Jabari Smith Jr. is just lighting it up from three. It's tough to pick. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I, it's really tough to pick, and I just want to say I'm a big fan of you saying giving Ivy some love at one. Yeah, man. I, I I don't really understand. Maybe because he was like just really inefficient last year as a freshman and just kind of didn't look the part. Uh, I mean, like he came back to school for a reason. Uh, I think that has influenced some people. I know that also he's not like really like a pull up shooter and. When we talk about the NBA these days, that's uh, such an important skill for a guard. He's not really like that kind of guy, pull up off the dribble kind of guy. Um, but he's made such huge strides this year. It's just really hard to count him out on adding more stuff to his game with how much he's added this year. Like, like he did not look like a passer last year, and this year he very much looks like he knows what he's doing. He has added like such a passing arsenal. He has these amazing reactive decisions. I, I'm not going to count him out on adding like a floater, adding some deceleration. He's even improved game to game as well. Some of the notes I had on him early in the year is where his improvement he's already kind of worked on. You can tell 
they just don't come up again. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm such a huge fan, and I have to like put put aside that I've become a personal fan and just try and look at this objectively, and it's tough. It's always hard whenever you, you start watching a prospect, you're like, yeah, I'm a big fan of the game. And then you're viewing everything they do with rose-colored glasses. There's actually a guy that I do this in the class of, I'm sure you know who it is, my guy Jaden Hardy. He's mm-hmm. bad, too. Um, yeah, no, it's bad whenever you start doing that, because then you're like, well, that's a flaw, but it can be fixed. But with other players, you're like, you stupid donkey, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> look, I want to talk some about Paulo Boncaro. I'm going to go and say it. He's my number one. I don't think he's generational. I think he's a step below generational. I don't know if there's a term for that. I know on a, the NFL draft subreddit, they like to call presidential prospects who are like a step below generational, but just like not normal guys. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I think I like that too. I just, I don't, I don't like, I don't know, generational and then presidential. I don't know. There's room for confusion there. But I think that that's what pa- Paulo is for me. He's one step below generational. Yeah, I don't think there's a generational guy in this class pre-draft. Like, you know, sometimes guys can become that further along in their careers but just like as a prospect only I, I don't know that i like see any of these guys on that level like we talked about last year might have had two generational guys in kate cunningham evan mobley and we might find another one there as you know like people still love Jalen green people still love well people love scotty barnes even more now um franz has been crazy but it looked like going in that there were maybe two uh, for me at least and it's seeming like that still to me this one, I don't have one, and I, I, I'm having this trouble with picking someone to go number one. Don't get me wrong, there's three guys who are very qualified for that, but not like guys that I'm looking at as being a league changer for 10 years or something. Yeah, I mean, we talk about generational prospects and like guys who, you know, we're going to look back on and be like, yeah, wow, what a pick he was. The guy who sticks off to me is he's not the number one guy for me for a few reasons. Is Jabari, is Jabari Smith. I'm going to be honest. You you watch him, and I don't know. I hate to do this. I've said this before about some prospects. It's come back to bite me very badly. Um, you see a little bit of KD, man. I, I hate to do it. I hate to say it, but you see the pull-up threes. You're like, maybe, just maybe Jabari is that guy. Yeah, I mean, I see some. I, I've said Jason Tatum a few times, and I feel like some of the things that uh, – he does. He's not the best at right now, or things that uh, Tatum struggled with early in his career, like kind of like the aversion to go into the rim. And when he does go to the rim, it doesn't look like super comfortable. Uh, I just remember, like after Tatum's first year, there was that second year where he just got obsessed with the mid range, and and like you know he's gotten better at hitting them now, so you just stop complaining about it as much. But like the second year, he wasn't that great at them yet, and he just looked at it, it's like, man, go to the rim. And, you know, Jabari's hitting, like, 40-plus percent behind the line at 6'10". You can't tell him, like, stop doing that because he's amazing at it and he's one of the best players in college basketball. But as, a, like, a s- scout who wants to see him go to the rim more for when he does go to the next level, it's it's a little bit of a struggle. But, like, yeah, he chose, like, that kind of all-star level pull-up shooting. Uh, and he can hit it from everywhere. He can hit multiple different types of looks, too. Yeah, he's he's really good. He's legit. The thing with me with Jabari is like he does all the pull up stuff, you know, and then you know you start you start looking at the stats. You're doing a bit of box score watching. You're like, okay, the three throw percentage is good, you know, forty four percent from three, eighty four eighty four percent from the three throw line, and then you're like, okay, the field goal percentage is less than his three point percentage. You're like, okay, that that's personally. You know, what you talk about, where he's not taking it to the rim as much, you know. He, he's falling in love with the outside shot. He's hitting it. I mean, he's hitting it at a great percentage. I mean, 44% is great. 
especially for someone who's 6'10", you know, and a lot of the, these aren't just like easy catch and shoot shots either. Like these are legitimately like pull up off the dribble, you know, I, I was watching a game and he, he shot like three of them in transition. It's like, if you ever watched the movie coach Carter, where he said, don't ever do that again. I don't know if you can tell Jabari that I, I think he's that guy. The thing that scares me is he does all the things that you're like, wow, this guy could be a star. I don't know if he does enough of the things where you're like, okay, I feel safe taking this guy at one over someone like Paulo Boncaro, who's so so consistent and you know he he's, he can get to the line he goes inside you know he knows how to use his size and stuff like you want to see that from a guy that you're 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 going to be investing that number one pick into you know and then you have Jaden Ivey I and mean, he's another guy he does a lot more he does a lot more of those things that make me more optimistic about their floor than their ceilings like I I personally think Jabari has the highest ceiling in this class but out of the three people we've talked about for the number one pick I think he has the lowest floor of them yeah I mean it also comes down to a little bit of philosophy too you know people who like Paolo Paolo are probably people who are more likely to, you know, fall towards certainty. He's you, everything he does, you know, that he can do it. Uh, he's got such a well-rounded game question is how, where he like takes it from here, I guess, as like becoming like the next level prospect. Does he just like continue to refine what he has? Does he have, can he step back to three, to the three point line later in his career? Those are questions, but like, you know, what his game is right now is going to translate uh jabari smith jr you know the shot's gonna translate but like the rest is kind of like you putting your own views onto it like i think i can work with this i think i can work with that there are tools here but it's not consistent that that kind of prospect and then ivy is like you know philosophy like the other two guys are are these big four fours maybe in paul's case a five um and, and those are the kind of guys who are usually the best players on championship teams. You don't really see like a lead guard as the top player on teams these days unless it's Steph Curry. So, you know, it's it's draft philosophy comes into it too. It's it's tough. I mean, it's, it's nice to have this kind of debate at the top after last year. I feel like we got locked in on Kate Cunningham and it was just a discussion of what happens under him. But this year we got a real question at the top. Yeah, I mean, it's it's back to 2020, like 2019, you know, there was, I feel like 2019, everybody was so polarized by Zahn, it was kind of hard to not be polarized by him. I mean, everybody was pretty much locked on him. 2020, I mean, people had Anthony at one, people had LaMelo, shout out to Nick, who's been on this podcast, had uh, Poku at one, and then you look at uh, last year. It's like, all right, we have Cade. And eventually, I was an Evan Mobley fan, but by the end of the year, I was like, okay, the pendulum is swung enough to where I'm comfortable with Cade being my number one. But that's one thing I love about the draft is, you know, it all comes down to what your philosophy is, how you evaluate people, you know, what you project them to do at the next level. Because ultimately, what what they do in college matters a lot. What they're going to do in the NBA matters. That matters so much to teams. And, you know, they're going to – whenever you're investing a number one pick into a guy, you need it to be someone – who's going to have to at least be consistent and have that floor. And that's what makes me wary back on Jabari Smith. Cause I'm sorry, I can't take a guy at number one. And then he's scared to go inside. I can't, I don't know if he gets deer in the headlight syndrome when he drives to the rim, I'm getting scared, but Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I will also add, it's not only that he's scared, the numbers kind of line up with it too. It's not just like an eye test. The, the, the numbers so far haven't been great for a guy his size. Yeah, and see, I think it's like fifty-five percent or something like that at the rim, yeah, or something like that. No, and I don't know. And like we talk about it, and then, and now I'm thinking back. Well, he is shooting forty-five percent in like on difficult three-point shots. <laughs> I don't know. See, this is why the draft's so hard because you, you start you start falling in love with these guys, and you're just you're making excuses for them. Um, I want to talk to you about one more person about number one. I feel like he got a lot more number one hype 
than at the in pre-draft before. I think people, will, and you know, I don't, I don't think many people. There are some people calling him generational, and that's uh, that's Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga. Kind of seems like when it comes to the number one talk, he's just not there anymore. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd still hear him from, on some pundits. Uh, are a really big fan of him. ESPN has him number one still at this point. Um, but ESPN changes their mind pretty rapidly as the process goes usually. Uh, so we'll see if that they stick with that. I, I have him number four, so I'm not like a Chet hater. I, I, I do think he is the maybe a half step below those top three guys to me. But, I mean, he definitely could be the number one guy in this class. You know, we could figure that out year one. Um, just a little bit, uh, I, you know, people hate who like Chet hate when people bring up uh, his lack of strength. Because it's obvious he, he's extremely skinny, uh, but he has incredible size and length, incredible blocking instincts. He's shown at the college level that it hasn't affected his ability to defend to an extent where like it's become a red flag there. But it has become a red flag for me at the next level. You know, you know, guys like him and Poku, sure they can't. They're going to be able to add weight with NBA strength and conditioning. No one has any doubt that that they're going to be able to. But like, how much? And like, how? And what does that look like? He's still going to have a skinny frame. He's still going to be like a shot-blocking prospect uh, or defend a defensive prospect by nature, but he doesn't really have the strength to be that kind of level of defender against everybody. You know, I hate also on the other side where people say, well, he can't defend Joel and Embiid. Well, nobody can. Uh, but, but can he defend, like, you know, some of the lesser bigs? Can he defend, I don't know, DeAndre Ayton? Can he defend... Like, you know, Porzingis even. Like, even Porzingis is a lot bigger than him. So, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I have some questions about him. I still need to watch more tape of him. Of the top four guys, he's the guy I need to watch the most of. I do like that he has more of a shot than I thought he did. Like, he probably will be have to... You'll have to be honest with him on the shot. Which, previously, I wasn't really thinking that coming out of high school. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? See, with Chet, the thing is, you kind of touched on it. It's the it's the issue of strength. And, like, I, you know, back in 2020, fell in love with Jaden Daniels. I was like, yeah, the weight's not an issue. And so far in the NBA, it's proved to not be an issue. But that's that's apples to oranges, in my opinion. Like, Jaden's like a, a guy who can come down. He can kind of, you know, provide that, uh, what's it called, rotational help on the inside. Like, Chet's a guy that he's going to be, pause on this, he's going to be banging with bigger guys in the NBA. That's just mm-hmm. how it is. So, like, I feel like the weight does need to be talked about there. And, like, I remember we were t- I was talking to Nikki about this last year, and it's like his philosophy and personally, he doesn't put much stock into guys' strength or weight because with NBA-level, you know, coaches, nutritionists, I mean, NBA teams will go all out to get their guys in good physical shape. I mean, it's not going to matter in a few years. And, like, we kind of – we've seen that with Mobley. I mean, Mobley's a guy who is called sk- – I mean, nowhere as near as skinny as Chet, I should say. I mean, Chet, Chet's tiny. I mean, there's been a lot of discourse about, like – if you what what we should call him, what we shouldn't call, I don't know. Not getting in on that. Um, yeah, I don't know, Chet. I don't. I'm worried, man, because like I'm not trying to take Chet with the number one pick, and then he's getting bodied up by somebody like who's a good example, like Jalil Okafor, just like a super big guy in the post. I, I can't do that. I'm scared of that. Like I don't think that'll happen because I just think Chet's like a way better defender than that to allow that to happen. But I mean, also eventually, you you can't teach size. That's just the reality at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it goes with saying that. It, I mean, everybody gets beat in the league at some point by some guys. It's a matter of how often you get beat. Are his, like, defensive uh, uh, instincts and, and skill level enough for him to win at a high enough rate that it doesn't matter that you see... Like, it doesn't matter how badly you get beat when you get beat. It matters how often. And, you know, he's going to look bad sometimes against some of the bigger guys, but can he make up for that with being, like... A, a really good defensive big when he has the right matchups or when he has the right position already on a guy who's bigger than him. And I, I think I lean towards him being good enough at that to be worth that top pick. So I'm not going to be like knocking him way down for this kind of concern. It's just kind of questions that will need to be answered pretty quickly. Even before he's added on strength, I think we'll already kind of have some indications here. One, I mean, I'm already getting some indications a little bit, the college level when he has gone against kind of guys who might be considered NBA size and it hasn't been great but uh, I think it's going to get a lot better pretty quickly but the question is how much better yeah I mean we're going to see what Chet I I personally I I think I have him a bit lower than you I think you said you had him like four I think I have him like eight or something and really for me it just comes down to one you know obviously strength concerns weight concerns but then also I haven't really been impressed you know I was expecting more of like a shooting touch to be honest like I watch him and I was I don't know it seems like he got a a lot of hype for like being like this dynamic offensive threat I'm not really sure what his role is in the NBA like outside of being like a, a, a guy who screams and a guy who rolls to the basket like I don't feel like he's gonna be I mean yeah I, I, I don't see a world in which he's a guy who you're like all right go stand on the three-point line well, not from day one. I mean, obviously, you can develop that. But I don't know, that's just my thoughts on Shep, personally. Well, well I could tell you one thing. Uh, he is not going to fit the the stereotype with bigs of guys banging in the paint and then not getting calls. Uh, Chet's frame is so small, he's going to get every call when he goes to the rim, man. He, he just looks – he gets so beat up going to the rim every time. Guys just go at him, and, and it, it's. I think the refs are going to be giving him a lot of calls early. I think that's – possibly going to be one of his angles is to you know just be a foul drawing machine and do it with footwork and yeah i I do think he's going to be a guy who runs a lot of pnr uh at the next level guy who just makes a lot of smart cuts i don't think he's like a traditional post player at all can't can he stretch it out like so that he's taking more than just like a valentinus three once a game i don't know uh we'll see yeah, I mean, I was also, I don't know, I, I kind of feel weird about taking a guy at one when they can't create their own shot reliably. That's more of a philosophy thing for me, but, like, I, I don't see a world where Chet's ever a guy who you're throwing the ball to on the perimeter, you're like, all right, go get us a bucket, or you're throwing it to the post, you're like, get us a bucket. I, I just don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say he's a role player, but I, I feel like he's closer to a role player than, like, a number one guy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I don't think that he is... For me, going into the draft, somebody that I would say is like a guy that I'm hoping is my first or second option offensively, for example, and I'm also not really expecting to be like a uh, all NBA level defender within the first, you know, four to five years of his career, at least. Uh, so it's somewhere in the middle on both of those, on on like value return and yeah I I, I don't know it, it's t- it's really tough to project him man he's one of the most complicated evals for me that I've done in like five years of watching uh, basketball in a scouting lens 
it's definitely going to be interesting to see like all the opinions on Chet as I come in because I feel like not only is it going to be personal evaluations, it's also going to be a lot of like personal philosophies. I'm excited to see how that affects where people rank him out. Yeah, I mean, projections are all over the place. I I think that anyone who is more optimistic than the two of us is totally valid in feeling that way. Um, I think that I just have higher question marks with him than some of the guys ahead of him, and. Uh, I also think the guys ahead of them, I can more easily see them how they excel in their role at the next level. So uh, it's pretty much why I have him four. And I think it's probably reason for you having him a little lower than even that. Yeah. All right. Next topic we need to talk about. This is probably the second thing I want to talk to you most about. This one's important. We talked about pre-draft earlier. Look, there's a guy getting a lot of hype pre-draft. That hype's gone. We're, I hate to say it. We're officially on fraud watch with him. That's my guy, Jaden Harding. I'm going to give you... Uh, you know what? We've talked about Jaden Hardy before. I know you have some actual inside intel on him, so I, I need. Oh, you want me to? You want me to drop this? <laughs> uh, you know what? You know, I, if you uh, want to drop it, you're, you're, you're f- feel free to, but you don't have to. Um, I will say this though: the question of what I'm asking you, Garrett, is: is Jaden Hardy a fraud? No, he's a fraud in the sense of his pre-draft hype. I don't think he's a fraud as a prospect. Um, the the coming in, they were talking about him as kind of like a, just this extremely high level scorer. He didn't have the the uh, upper tier athleticism where he was gonna get to the rim at will based off of uh, just being more athletic than everybody else. It's more footwork and and having a great first step is pretty much most of his game. And he ha- and he has like really long wings, a pretty long wingspan. He can get to the rim. Uh, in a variety of ways, he most often just likes taking his man at the top of the key, but he has he has other stuff in his bag that he goes to. Uh, he gets to the rim a lot. He gets to his shot a lot, which is why he's still a prospect. It's just not going in. And, I, I mean, I just saw, even before we did this podcast, that somebody has been tracking every one of his threes at every level of competition, and he's really a 35% shooter across all of it from three. And that's including, like, the, you know, the high school and college three-point line. So it's, you know, his rim percentage numbers haven't been good either, but I have to say that that's something that I'm more optimistic about than the three wall. Um, I really don't think that his his rim attempts have been bad. I think when he was at the beginning of the year, the thing that bothered me was the settling for jump shots because when you get to the rim, it looked good. Just the touch wasn't there. I don't know. It it's It's such a weird thing where the eye test looks different from the numbers once once he has figured out what he's supposed to do on the ignite club uh that said there's still some pretty big holes in the game like the passing isn't good like he has good passes but then he has some just head scratching ideas his defense is just up and down his effort is up but the he's still really not getting it at at a high enough level to to where the team defense can really even work along with some other guys who have the same issue on that team, that the team's defense is just a little bit rough. And, you know, it, I see him as, you know, a guy, I have him 21 right now. I don't have a firm board. You know, I, I my first round is still a work in progress, but I'm pretty confident saying that he's going to be my 21st. I'm that far along on my first first round. So, yeah, I, I see him more as like a guy that's like a you know a rotation guy rather than the the star that people were talking about coming in. 
Yeah, look, I'm going to be honest. I still have him three. I'm not ready to give up yet. And for a while there, I was in the hole. Oh, it's a cold shooting slump. We'll be okay. We're going to rebound. The Jaden Hardy the Jaden Hardy gang is still still list. I'm still impressed by the passing. He has a bag. But look, even I'm getting to the point to where, like, I, I'm going to need you to do something, man. I, I can't keep defending you. We we have a Discord that we're both in, Garrett. Look, there was a yes, poll sir. today between Johnny Davis and Jaden Hardy. I believe it was about thirteen to uh, thirteen to one. I was the one person voted for my guy, Jaden Hardy. I don't know. I I want to believe in that archetype so much, and like him being a scorer, and like we know how well that works in the NBA, and we we know how well how important shot making and shot creating is. But the thing is, he's not doing the shot making thing. Like I was, he definitely has that potential to be like a next level shot maker. But the shots aren't going in right now in the G, in the G, in the G League, and that scares me. Uh, you know, shout out the Game Three podcast, and I think it's uh, probably something that's going to go into my eval. Like once you start, we, I mean, the G League ignites going to get back going again. I don't know if they've already resumed or if they're going to resume, uh, but when, when they start play again. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he's worked on in between the, the pause uh, in, in play. And, uh, you know, the, the Game Theory podcast talked about uh, guys like Bradley Beal and Zach Levine. And, you know, Zach Levine, far superior athlete to Jaden Hardy. Bradley Beal, maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe similar. And th- those guys took a long time in the league before they were, like, top-level scorers. I thought that was a great point. It, 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 Jaden Hardy is, is not a finished product, but you see tools. And you really can't move him that far down when you see those tools. I, I haven't moved further down because I actually like this class a little bit better than others. I still think it's this kind of a lower class compared to others. Like uh, last year, for example, just blows this one out of the water. But I think there's guys out there in that range. And Hardy just needs to show something before I... You know, if he comes out and shoots, you know, a respectable numbers, not even great numbers, I'll already be way more bought in than I am now. It's just, it's been rough. And eventually you just got to do something. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. All the tools are there. And, like, I eventually, like, all prospects to a certain extent need need time. You know, they need time to be, they need to be coddled, given time. I feel like there's a lot of expectations for rookies these days. I mean, you look back at 2018, what, like, Luca was doing, like, what Trey was doing, you know, and even to, and Zion, his rookie year. I mean, we didn't get to see him very much. Like, there's such high expectations for rookies. And I kind of feel like Jaden Hardy's a guy who, like you said, is going to need time. Like, even now, you can see, you can see the potentials there. He just, it needs to come along eventually. And, like, we need to see, and if we want to keep him up high on the draft pick boards or move him back up, like, we're going to need to see more. Like, we know you can do it. Now you just need to actually do it and put it together. It reminds me a lot of Cam Reddish and, like, the fact that they're both guys with tools, physical traits that you want to believe in a lot. But, Eventually, like, at what point are you just like, the production's not there? It needs to be there. Or, like, you know, I have to evaluate you like I do everyone else and move you down. Like, I got to look past the tools and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've I've heard personally that he's been very receptive to criticism and he's and he's working on what, he, what he's been struggling on. Uh, I, I really root for him to come out the next slate and, and look better. I did hear that possibly he's had a minor injury that he's been nursing at some that he got at some point during the slate that might have been affecting him a little bit. We'll see if that's true. If you know, if the results look good, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. It, it's tough, and it's a guy that I'm kind of just putting in a hold position until I see him again in a new 
maybe maybe refreshed uh, G League slate once he's you know I I really think the Ignite team is so interesting, kind of like putting you know these guys are used to really intense AAE schedules, but it's another level when you're playing in the G League to be playing like every other night, while the college players guys who go college route play twice a week. It's it's just like it's really hard to work on your game when you're playing two nights later as a 18 year old. It, it's it's gonna be some growing pains. I, I I'm interested to see what he what he comes back with once he's had a, some time away. Hopefully, less of the spotlight is on them. I know for a while, like Ignite was playing like almost every other night, and it kind of seemed like it, it, it was before the college basketball season started. So I, I feel like all the eyes are on him. I feel like they might have got. See, this is what I'm talking about. You start making excuses for these guys. I don't need to be doing all this. See, I'm guilty of it too. All right, we need to move on from Jaden Harden here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start, you know, looking into his diet and stuff to make sure he's eating properly to make before games. <laughs> all right. Anyways, next topic on the on, on our on our list today, Garrett. This one's yes. important. Look, we need we need to talk about Usman Ding. I've, I don't know if that's how you say his name properly. I'm going to be honest. I watched him once, wasn't a fan. I was like, maybe I'll do this some other time. I'm not doing this now. I, yeah. He was getting a lot of like lottery, like even higher than lottery hype. And I feel like he's just bad. Oh, that's that's another one that I just watched one game of his and said, man, this guy's not ready at all for the NBL. He he. I think he came back from like the French second division. I I I don't. I know he's from France. I know he played below the first division, but he's playing like at a second division where mo- a lot of the clubs are just youth clubs. Um, yeah. He, he came. To, he went from there to the NBL, which is you know grown man's league. That, that those everyone there is a seasoned veteran. The the young guys are really always look a little bit lost. I remember Lamelo like really struggled in the NBL. Um. Josh Giddy didn't even put up like Josh Giddy was putting up great numbers last year in the NBL, but he still his shooting percentages were rough, and he had a really hard time finding a shot early in that uh, NBL season last year. It's a tough league to play in, but he stands out as being clearly the least ready of any of those guys. Uh, very very raw. What you're what you're looking at right now is tools, and he definitely has them, but they just don't show up very often. We talk about Hardy having the tools but not showing up enough. It's on a whole other level with it with them. And, and his last thing I think is is Jang. Like I think it's pronounced Jang. I think that's how they said on the MBL bro- broadcast that I watched. Um, yeah, Usman Jang. Uh, I am out on until I see more. And when I say I see more, I am waiting until this MBL season progresses. Until he's had a lot more time in the system, and coming back and seeing what he's worked on compared to my notes before, because I have a lot of negative notes, and I understand what he could be if somebody like this was a great basketball player. But this guy isn't a great basketball player right now, and it's going to take a lot of time. Um, and and who knows? Is he? If you take him in the first round, are you really going to stash him? Are you going? Are you going to bring him in and bring your own development staff? I mean, he's being talked about as a first-rounder. If he goes into the draft, someone will probably take him there, and then you have him on your roster for four years just being a com- complete negative while he figures it out. I, I don't I don't love that unless you're like the Thunder. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to decide if a guy like that should stay in the draft or not because if he comes back next year and just looks still equally lost, does he just fall off draft boards? I don't know. Now, see, also, I hate the, like, 
throw like stereotypes and things at people. Also, I'm just going to say it. France basketball prospects have not had a good track lately. All right. You got you got Seku who's on his way out of the league. And I don't know. I kind of feel like him and uh, Jang, who I said that right now, were uh, – I feel like they're a lot similar. Like, they have the tools and stuff, but like it, you, there's also – with the tools, there's a lot of negative notes like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that his defense has already improved quite a bit, which is – you know, one of the first things that I wrote down in the game I watched is he gets run by on every single play despite being the superior athlete. His footwork is just atrocious. And I've seen clips, and it looks like it's gotten a lot better. But again, those are clips. That's what I've, and that's what we talk about all the time with him is that you could put up, you could put together a great clip compilation of what he's done in the NBL slate so far. But he does those things once or twice in a game, and the rest of the time he's just either a negative or invisible. And it's it's just I don't know I, I I'm I'm probably way too negative on him at the t- at this point, and it, and it and it comes I think a little bit from watching a lot of the guys in this class who came in with hype who are just not very good right now, which is just kind of a theme for this class. Uh, but I I am out until until further notice. Let me ask you something. What are your thoughts on the NBL as a league for prospects, like NBA prospects specifically? Uh, I, I really like it if, if the team is, uh, you know, if the team is receptive to you working through your role. It, it, you know, I, I think that the NBL is a really tough place for prospects to play and expect to, like, put up great numbers. But I think we can tell from, like, the way teams have drafted that the scouts have made teams aware of that, of that context, and then it's not hurting their draft stock. I mean, like, RJ Hansen got drafted first round despite putting up some pretty bad numbers in Australia. Uh, Josh Giddy got drafted super high despite his shooting splits not being the best. Lamelo Ball put up put up stats, but they were really inefficient stats, and teams really weren't affected by that. And I think that's good uh, because that's not how you should be scouting prospects by their box scores. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it is a good option. I, you know, Hugo Basson is a prospect this year. He might go first round off of the playing for the same team that Usman Jang is on. They have, they have two prospects this year that could very well go first round uh, over there in New Zealand. Uh, shout out Tim Smith and his and his team. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good option. I, I think, but it's only really a good option for a couple guys because there's only so much spotlight that Australia can get in the draft community year to year, it seems like. So, you know, a, a couple prospects each year probably want to go that route. I know the G League Ignite option is looking more and more enticing every year, but only so many guys can shine on that uh, that court as well. We'll see. I think right now Australia is still a great option and probably better than uh, going to a European club from the States, for example. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I 100% agree with you on everything. I was a big fan. You know, last year, you know, I had uh, Tim Smith on, and we discussed, you know, the draft. You know, he's from New Zealand. He knows a lot about that league, and he explained it to me. It sounded great to me, and he was actually the first person. He was like, yo, we're going to have this guy coming over from France. His name's Usman Jang. He, he's good, but I don't know. He was good at the uh, the French second league, but whenever you start playing with adults, man, it's uh, it's always difficult. And like you said, Hugo Bassan, look, I'm going to be honest, not a fan, but I mean, second rounder for sure. I just don't really see it with him. I don't. I don't know. He's he's a rough one. I I wanna I wanna like more of these international guys, and that's actually gonna that's actually a really good segue into our next thing. International guys. I was expecting expecting more out of Jovic. 
Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. I'm going to be honest, not a fan from what I've seen. Yeah, uh, I I will admit that I I have watched him in the previous cycle quite a bit. I watched him last year. I've watched uh, a game and a half of his this year, maybe a little more than that, based on watching a couple clips. Man, the tools are there, but but what is he? Uh, he is a four guard. He's got the height of a four guard, but he plays like a three or even a two. But then he also isn't really like a scorer at that height. Like he, he has scoring instincts, but the stats don't line up with him being one. That team, Mega Mega Soccer, but Mega, uh, I forget what they're called when they're when they don't have a brand name slapped on them. Mega uh, has a lot of prospects on them this year. I don't think he even looks like the best one. Um, Malcolm Casalon is I'm a huge fan of. Uh, as being when I say huge fan, I mean like a second rounder, when, while where other people don't have him on the radar. Um, I think he's looked like a better player on that team this year. Among, and they're both similar age. I think Kazlan's got a year on him. Jo- Jovic has not impressed me, but the tools are hard to ignore. I just don't know what the role is. If I had a better idea of what the role is, I'd be I'd be more in. It's actually funny you talk about Kazlan because you know we're talking about like the the international guys. You know, you mentioned second round. I actually think he's my top international guy right now. I mean, I haven't done like a revision of my big board recently i like to do those you know every few weeks i like to let them cook for a minute you know let my thoughts settle but he's my top international guy personally and there's a lot to like about him and in the spurts i've seen you know with him and jovich playing together i'm just like i was just expecting so much more i feel like there i I remember watching him and i think i was watching his um his junior international games i believe i could be 100 wrong on that so apologies if i am I was remember being really impressed by his shot and everything, but you know I watched him this year and I just, it just wasn't there, honestly. So I really wasn't a fan of that. I, I've been really disappointed by this international class. I've said that already, but like I was expecting so much more, especially out of the big guys. Like there's two, you know, legitimate big guys. Um, in Unique Nazuza, I don't know. I probably said that name wrong. And uh, mm-hmm. what's the other one? Oh gosh. Oh, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. All right. Oh, Baji, him. Look, I was expecting, oh, yeah, him. Look, he, they, those guys, honestly, they're, you know, I really appreciate the tools, the athleticism, the physical stuff they bring. Just on a skills basis, they completely fall off the radar for me personally. I have not watched Ibu this year, but I watched one game of Ibu last year. I was just like, yep, he's not going to enter the draft this year. I can just wipe my hands of this and watch someone else. I think I watched maybe a half of a game of his and it's like, yeah, he's not ready. It's going to be another year. And I watch, I think it's Yannick Zosa, I think is how you say it. I think that is how you say it. And um, he's another guy that I just watch, I watched, I've watched one half so far, and I'm like, yeah, he's probably not entering this year. I'm going to hold off until I hear that he's more likely to be in it. He, they're, they're, they're definitely guys every year who pop up who have incredible athletic skills, but just need more time in the basketball community before they become or if they become the kind of player that you hope that they would be. And those guys are pretty far away. Uh, Yeah, I think that this international class is actually probably more disappointing than the domestic class. Uh, 
in terms of the fact that there were a lot of guys that people expected to take steps this year, Jovic being one, uh, Roko Prakacin being another guy that uh, I was a huge fan of coming into this draft, and he was pretty disappointing, and now he's had an injury. He's going to be out three months. Uh, yeah, I just don't really see a, an international guy that I'm like, incredible fan of like Jean Montero I would still probably consider an international player being that he's from the Dominican Republic this is I think first year playing in the US I could be wrong about that so I haven't followed his backstory close enough he's from the Dominican Republic originally I know that um he's probably my top international prospect in this class but uh you know I have him out I don't have him in the lottery I don't think I'll have any international players in the lottery yeah, and, you know, 100% agree on that. Look, while we're on the topic of uh, Montero, I need you to explain them to me. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give you some time because I know you just, you talk for a minute. You might, yeah, I'm going to let you catch up on your breath. <laughs> That's the next thing we're going to talk about. I need you to explain him to me because, look, I'm going to be honest. The whole overtime elite thing, that, that absolutely confuses me. Not only did they feel the need to go on and make another basketball league, they felt the need to introduce their own three throw rules for whatever reason. That's I'll it. be honest. I don't even watch the like the the uh, game context when I watch Overtime Elite. <laughs> you just watch the, the I players. That, I I've watched at this point. I think five at least five Overtime Elite games of Montero, and I didn't even know the <laughs> the rules. Just not really paying attention to the results of the of the contest. I remember. Um, at one point this year, they I saw someone was like live tweeting the game, and they're like, "Oh, apparently they had their own three throw rules." Nobody told us this beforehand. And the presentation is is just like something else. I, I don't know. Do you ever play with? Do you ever watch those games with the sound on? I think I watched one time, and they had like some YouTubers just announcing the game, and I was like, okay. Then there was a game where one of the announcers stood in front of the camera for I think five minutes of game time, and I couldn't watch like a, a, the corner of the court. And there's another game where. Uh, that they went on like a five minute rant about how their grandma wasn't cooking food well enough anymore. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I understand that it's not, they're not trying to be like to traditional basketball, athlete, but it's just like, I'm not, I'm not ready for it yet. I'm still adjusting to this different take on how basketball games are presented and I'm still getting used to it. But just some moments where I'm like, that's the first I've seen that. That's the first time I've seen that. It's it's something else. Poor grandma's just trying to do some scouting, and her and her loving grandson is just <laughs> hating on her cooking. He, he he's he's throwing down about Thanksgiving. He's over it. Nice nice step back by Montero, but grandma, your cooking's awful this year. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is like you just see like like Jean Montero, you see him make a play where you're like, holy shit, and then the announcers just don't even mention it. Because they they've got another th- topic that they're talking about. At the they're time. talking about a monster truck rally. They're just completely, all, just completely just off of what's going on. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm glad that there's more. I'm glad that players are having more options than just the traditional. All right, you're going overseas. You're going to college, but I don't know. Maybe maybe just some increased professionalism by the production team would be would be better. That's just me personally. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about, Jeremy Sochan. Lately, he's kind of come out of nowhere, but he's getting a lot of love. Yeah, he's a great defensive prospect for sure. Like he moves so well for for being like a like a three four tweener guy. Uh, he moves really well on the court. 
seems to really have bought into Baylor's team defense. Uh, whatever Scott's Drew, Scott Drew, coach of Baylor, is doing to teach guys team defense as they enter into the system, it's working. Guys just uh, immediately get it. And, well, most of them. And uh, Jeremy Soshan is one of them. I understand people might have him lottery at the moment. Um, I'm not there. Uh, he, I don't. He, he, he has shown that he can shoot. I'm not sure how well he can shoot. That's a work in progress, maybe. Also, when he kind of tries to take deeper threes, the three looks a lot rougher. So we'll, we'll see if that's like a real translatable thing at the next level. I also don't really know what he is offensively when he's not just, uh, you know, shooting off the catch. I I don't know. He but defensively, there's no question. He's a he's a guy who's going to be, um, someone who just can come right away into the league and and fit into a team context, and that has value. So I understand completely why people are high on him right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've watched a few games, and I'm actually a big fan of his. Like you mentioned, he moves very well in the court. He's bought into the defensive system. He's a very. I mean, he's. I mean, honestly, I mean, there's another guy out there who's like a mainly a defensive prospect. That's Tar Eason. Look, I like Sochan a lot. I'm worried about the offensive game though. Like, I kind of I need to see more. You know, I, I want to like. It's always cool when we get like these defense. Like, we get these players who are so good at like one thing. And like with Sochan, the, the defense is just it's it's amazing. Honestly, like that's definitely going to be a guy who comes into the league and from day one. I don't think you're going to have to worry about like, oh yeah, this guy's a kind of a liability on defense. This guy's kind of slacking off on defense. He's not giving effort on defense. Like, I think from day one he's going to be at the very least, a, a plus defender by a little bit. And, I mean, definitely, and we talk about this class, you know, you kind of referred to it earlier. I mean, this is a weaker class. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the class. You know, I think it's weaker than the past few classes that we've had. But it's guys like him who are, we're going to look back in this class and be like five years like, oh, yeah. Like, he made this class better than what, like, what we thought it was going to be. And I'm, I'm a big fan of this. But the thing is, that three throw percentage, man, I don't know, that's pretty brutal. 54%. Need to get that up. That's below Clint Capella numbers. Just want to say. Yeah, I, I was I hadn't looked at his splits yet on the year, but that's that's not that's not a great indicator. I mean, I'll say this a bad also indicator for three throws, but also you know shooting. Look into it. I will say I'm I'm coming around on the idea, and I mean I already believed this before, but in terms of like really using it as uh, like a core theory behind the way I scout and rank guys. Is that if you can come into the into a new context in college and immediately understand where you fit into a team's defense, that kind of that shows just such a level of understanding of the game that I immediately want to bet on you. And I think he's that kind of guy where I under, that where I'd want to bet on him based on just that alone, just how he has come into Baylor and within. I mean, year one, I don't did he play really year one? I don't think so. I don't know if he played at all. But, but, you know, he hasn't been in the system that long. He's already just their top defender, clearly. And, I mean, that says a lot about his understanding of the game and, and how much he, room he has to grow if he can put his tools together. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very – I want to see that offensive game develop. Because, like, I don't know. I want to – I love the defense. I love the effort he brings. You know, he's also, he's also a very good follow on Twitter. He's actually pretty funny. So, you know, hey, if we're ever uh, – uh, yeah, forever evaluating social medias of prospects. I know a few years ago there was actually some talk about James Wiseman's TikTok, so maybe Jeremy Sochon's Twitter is the next thing that we're 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 scouting. We're scouting Twitters. That's our thing now. Um, yeah, I want to see the offensive game develop. I mean, the splits are bad. The splits are rough. 
But I mean, also in, in a different view, in a different context, you're not, you're not drafting him for his offense. I mean, you're drafting him for his defense. Hey, he could be the best prospect from the UK since Luol Deng. See, yeah, I, I, won't, I don't know. I'm all in now. I'm all in now. <laughs> I need, I need the whole, I need, the, I need to refrain from buying myself all in on this guy because it's something I'll do. Um, another guy who's kind of, you know, shot up uh, big boards this year, Jalen Duran out of Memphis. He was, I mean, we were talking about Amani Bates and being the, the about being the guy that everybody. He was the reason to watch Memphis, but as the years gone along, you know, it's turned into Duran. So, what are your thoughts on him? Ben, I, I have a great Duran article ready to be published sitting on a hard drive in another city right now. I'm so mad that I left that there. I have a great piece that I could reference here. But I, I've watched every single play of Jalen Duran uh, against major conference competition this year. And I understand why people watch the games and get frustrated with him, especially with the early struggles that Memphis was having. But I really think a lot more being, is being blamed on him in the Memphis kind of up and down season than what he deserves. Um, we're talking about a guy who, like, yes, he doesn't really have a super developed offensive game in terms of scoring for himself, other than rim running and being a dunker spot guy. And even then, uh, you know, he doesn't have perfect dunker spot in, uh, instincts yet, at least, or at least he looks a little bit nervous. I mean, he is 17 years old. But, uh, man, he has got so much potential. Uh, I really like him as a screener. His screens are really great. I think it was like Jonathan Wasserman put out a video saying his screens were suspect. And when I was watching him play-by-play, play, I, I thought that his screens were fantastic. Um, I think that he's immediately a, a great pick-and-roll partner with a, with, a, with a better point guard than what Memphis has. Um, and I think that defensively, he's a monster. Yeah, I mean, also, I saw something, it was linked in a Discord I'm in the other day, where it talked about how, like, only a few of the prospects have, like, had these assist numbers. I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Like, I'm not, I, I mean, obviously, after a while, you don't want to go too far into the stat stuff, and, like, having these stats, I mean, you can get pretty, you can easily start cherry-picking stuff, but I thought it pretty impressive what I saw. But, yeah, no, Duran, look, I don't know, there, there's some, I don't think he's center number one, I don't, I think nobody's going to get that from Chet, just for me, I think Chet, I mean, Chet's floor is really high, I mean, I know what I'm, I know what I'm going to get out of Chet, but he's a guy who could potentially get it, but obviously, you know, you talk about the frustrations with him, you know, I remember you, you alluded to the article that you wrote about him, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoil too much of it, you did a really, you did a really good segment on talking about passes to him, and I was really impressed by that, so I wanted to give you props on that, but, look, I don't know. I, I want to. I, I want him to be good because I, I. I'm. You know. I'm gonna say it. I like shorter centers. Okongwu. That's my guy. You know. He's a. And, and we say short. These people are like six foot nine. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I agree with you. I don't really want to put him above Chet. I also think teams are probably gonna be scared to be the people who pass on Chet if Chet becomes what people think he could be. Uh. And, and whereas Duran, you know, he gets Bam out of bio comparisons. It's such a ridiculously difficult development path to become anything like Bam. Bam is just on this like other level to the point that before Bam we weren't talking about players like him in the league. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I, I, I see Duran as a starting center in the league, um, and I see Duran as possibly being a, a top end, star, top half starter at center in the league. Uh, but but a guy like Chet, you you hope for more maybe. 
as an upper up, upper outcome, and maybe he fits into the uh, more context than than Duran, whereas Duran's just a traditional center with with maybe a little bit more movement ability than a traditional center. Yeah, I mean. I, I, what you said about Chet was so true when you talked about how like GMs don't want to be you, nobody wants to be the team when Chet starts like dribbling like doing behind the back pull up threes and stuff in the NBA and you're like wow we took a rim running center over that like I, I kind of feel like that that's definitely gonna be a thing that GM thing that GMs do for better or worse I don't know I don't think Chet ever gets back to that level because there's a lot of hype about him you know his shot creation ability and all that and I don't know it's just so rough because you talk about like the NBA in the context of value of big men and like you, there's so many rim runners, like you can get so many of them, but like Durant just kind of seems special to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, he has the tools to be that too. It's just the I don't know if the outcome is that he isn't, then it you know people are just so down in the NBA and so negative about guys who are just rim running centers, and you know that's okay if he is. It's still, it's still, it still has value, even if the value has diminished over the like you know the last decade plus. But it still has value. It's just less. So you know the 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 lower outcomes are not super exciting, but the higher outcomes are still you know worth a lottery pick for sure. And in my opinion, in this draft, top end lottery is probably where I'll have him. Yeah, absolutely. Um. You know, we're about an hour into the podcast, so I want to start winding things down here. I don't really have much to talk about, so I want to ask you, before we start wrapping things up, Garrett, do you have anything else you want to talk about related to the draft? Oh, well, I think uh, I think I forgot to mention John Montero. I was thinking about it. I don't think I ever really got into him. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I was actually waiting for this. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the, the pitch of John Montero is, uh, I think I, I'm going to go back to what I've kind of sent to a couple of people is it, it's all a matter of what you want to project onto him because there's always a caveat to a lot of his game. So if you if you look at his pull-up shooting off the dribble, it looks beautiful. It looks like it's going to be immediately projectable in the NBA. But then you look up the numbers and they're and they're really not good. <laughs> like he's just not hitting them at a high clip right now, but they look the part. So you you might want to project shooting onto him in that sense, uh, and you might and you look at the way he pulls up and says, yeah, that's gonna eventually work. Sure, I personally would. Uh, the passing, he makes some high level reads. He he loves the no look passes. He's got flash. Um, the team OTE and the professional teams he played for clearly trusted him with the ball before. He's got a really smooth uh, dribble to get him in a position to, to make the kind of passes he wants to. But he makes them also just confounding decisions sometimes. He also sometimes in actual important game contexts makes flashy passes rather than good ones. And you, I, I don't know, it's just kind of confusing when that those kinds of plays happen. And then, like, defensively, he's seems that re- he can be really engaged, but and when he is really engaged, he's like a ball hawk. He gets a lot of steals. He he gets in people's faces. But then when he's not, he's really not good defensively. So let's guys run right by him. So, you know, it's just a matter of, like, wondering what that is. And also, like, context matters, too. Does he really care what the result of an OTE score is? Maybe not. Would you? Would I? I'm not sure I would. <laughs> I mean, I just told you earlier that I don't pay attention to the score. But, you know... 
teams are gonna you know teams are gonna want a guy who's always who's always who always cares about the game he's in and and i hope that he is a guy like that because the tools seem really good yeah after you've talked about him i'm kind of like all right maybe i need to watch some more tape and start buying in but you also you've talked about projecting shooting onto him look when you start doing that that's a very dangerous game uh, I would. Never, yeah. I I've done it before. I've ended up on the very wrong side of history in that regard. But I don't know. There seems it seems like there's a lot to like with him. I mean, you talk about the pull up shooting and shot creation, and that's so important in the league. I mean, I mean guys are guys are getting max contracts just off their shot creation and potential. Look at Michael Porter Jr. I mean, obviously that's apples and oranges with Montero, of course. But just a that's a bit of an a uh, you know an, an analogy. Um, I don't know. That seems interesting almost. But also, it kind of seems like. The, the issue of effort, but also what you said about does he really care about what the score is like? Really, there's all there's a chance that the overtime elite league's not here in five years. I, that might right. be a little harsh, but ultimately, like the only thing that we could remember this is our like recollections. Like, oh yeah, remember when overtime started their own basketball league and they had a draft prospect in it, and like the announcers were like blocking off uh, the court and talking about the grandma's cooking being bad. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's well, all going to last. Where where would you have him right now? I don't know. I I don't want to. All right, I'm going to be honest. I'm a really big Ty Ty Washington fan. Sure. So below him, I'm a really big Kennedy Chandler fan. I have him top six. Right. So either I can I don't know. I think above Davidson or Davison out of yeah Alabama. JD Davison. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go above him. Yeah. I I think you. Uh, I have him above Davison. I. I, I might be just too negative about this guard class, but I don't really have many guards. I mean, I don't have many point guards in my first round out of this class. So I have a lot of them in kind of a cluster in my early second that'll eventually be released. Who knows? Got so many more player fringe guys left to watch because this class is just so. There's such a lack of separation. There's so many people to watch. I think I have. John Montero in the 15 to 20 range. And I think I have some of the guys you mentioned more in the 25 to 40 range. If oh. that makes sense. Oh God. Not, not the Kennedy Chandler, not the Kennedy Chandler slander. Oh, I'm not or... ready to make any, I'm not ready to make any Kennedy Chandler, uh, like claims, but you know, I, I, I am always among the people that we talked to, one of the more negative guys on, on lack of size at point guard. And so I'm always going to kind of trend lower, but you know, I can come around on him. I haven't watched enough to be like just sold not like completely out or anything. Uh, why, why don't you, why don't you give me a little bit of a pitch right now? All right. You ready for my pitch on Kennedy Chandler? I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for someone to ask me this for a while. First of all, for his size, you know, obviously you never, you know, short point guards, they're, they're kind of coming back in style. I don't know if you know, Trey Young, all-star this year. Jalen Brunson, going to get a big bag in free agency this year. Six foot, but listen, listen, listen. It gets better. Come on, there's more folks. Six foot five wings fan. I mean, that's got to count for something. Obviously, the weight's low. He's going to need to give that up. You know, we'll, we're going to get him in the, you know, it's back to the, to the Chet thing. Get him with a nutritionist. Get him eating some, you know, grilled chicken, five meals a day. You know how it goes. And that's where we're going to go. But the offense, 
The assist numbers are good. 5.3 assists to 2.2 turnovers. You talk about the three-point percentage, 37%. The three-throw percentage, 75%. Obviously, there's work to be done. He can finish inside, you know. I, I think he's a guy who can who, – he's not finishing at the rim like De'Aaron Fox or something or, you know, prime Russell Westbrook. But he's a guy who you can trust to attack the rim, if that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I do. I do think that he's better at attacking the rim than the average guy's height. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that I'm like – you know, it's not like a Tinder profile. I'm not just like swiping left on anyone who's under six feet. And and Kenny Chandler probably isn't under six feet, but he might be close. He, he probably but, five ten and a half. We know how the, we know how these players get when it comes about their height. You know, they start throwing in right. you know, oh here's my shoe size with three pairs of insoles in them. Like hold on, hold on. Well, well, his 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 draft spot probably isn't gonna be assured enough for him to not to skip on the combine. So we'll know eventually. Um. But yeah, I, I, in general, just kind of if with the with my <laughs> with my leaning towards against guys that height, I'm gonna get burned by guys like Trey Young every once in a while, and, and Trey Young's probably gonna be the worst burn that you ever have if you have that kind of uh, draft philosophy because he's been way better than I would have ever guessed. Um, but yeah, I I do just kind of. No, I'm not out on him, but I'm like just immediately assuming a lesser role than what somebody with his skill set who's a couple inches taller is going to have and you know Brunson is definitely uh shout out Brunson for uh helping my dynasty team out but I I, I guys like that I, I really would rather have probably in the range where he got drafted which is kind of you know, like late first early second and prove me wrong I, I would love to be proved wrong but yeah that's fair but but I usually target other guys yeah, you know that's. I mean, also, I hate to say it. I feel like we. I feel like we say this about some prospects every year. You can't teach height. It's just that's just how that's just how it goes. Also, it's kind of funny. You were like, pitch me on Kenny Chandler, and the last time he played, he had his worst game of the season, two of fourteen from the field. Yeah, he also has like that those kinds of games, and then he has stat lines that are just wild. He's so up and down this year. It's 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 kind of weird. Weird to weird to look at because when you watch him in his best games, he looks so composed. So then when you see him in his worst, you just don't know how to how this happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with him. I feel like following his draft talk draft talk is going to be one of the more fun things. Him and Jaden Hardy, they're going to be the guys who I'm waiting on the first round or possibly the second if it gets really bad with uh, Kennedy Chandler. <laughs> I mean, if Jaden Hardy goes in the second, then I don't know. I might just need to give up on the whole draft thing, man. Maybe, maybe I, 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 I would be so sports. shocked if he did. Look, there's a there's a lot that you can hate on him for. If he goes in the second round, maybe maybe I just need to pack it up and head over to the hockey scouting community. <laughs> I don't know, man. I th- I think I think you can put money down on him not going second round, but anything can happen. I mean, look. I, I kind of feel like, I don't know, I wonder if people are having these same discussions about Ball Ball a few years ago. They're like, oh yeah, January, you know, it's just a foot injury. He'll go, he'll go, he'll probably still go in the top 20, and then right. he goes 40. Um, You know, we're about an hour into the podcast, so I want to give you an opportunity, Garrett. You have, you have anything else, you have anything else you want to talk about related to the draft? Let's see here. Have you, have you watched uh, uh, Trevor Keels at all? Okay. I've watched Duke, but I haven't watched him like in particular. Like I haven't focused in on him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you have any like preliminary thoughts on like? I, I I have noticed there's a lot of conversation right now about whether he's a second round prospect or a late lottery prospect. I have him in the second round personally, and I completely understand why. Um, but he is 
such a weird prospect for me. Uh, I... I think a lot of I hear a lot of people who are detractors saying, "Well, people watched the Kentucky game, which was on opening night, and saw him just look outstanding against Kentucky, and are just locking in on that." Uh, now I, I've seen a lot of Duke games, and I'm still a fan. Uh, he's like a guy who can get to the rim, but then when he gets to the rim, he can't finish, which is a bad thing. You know, he's like a two foot jumper. He's not like got like elite burst. He he really can't jump. I, at least I don't think he can. But everything else he does is extremely interesting. I think his shot is being like dragged to the mud. Uh, I think he's a great passer for basically being a, a combo guard off guard. Uh, he can initiate. He could be like a secondary initiator, I think. Um, at least. And then maybe on a second unit, he can be the lead initiator. Uh, he's huge. I mean, that's like thing you immediately notice when you watch him play is so his frame is crazy for being a, for at a, a for a guard. It's like Marcus Smart esque frame, maybe a little bit smaller than Smart, but similar. And I don't know. He just seems like he has this inc- a really high motor. The, I, I think his defense is going to be really good at the next level. It's like why not just bet on this guy in like the mid first and and see if it turn if the project turns into something because like the the best results of being like a defensive stopper, high energy, high motor, great teammate who can hit an open shot and get to the rim and pass out to other guys, even if he can't really finish that well at the rim himself. Why? Why don't? Why isn't that guy on somebody's team, even if it doesn't pan out exactly as you want it to? Yeah, I mean, I'm always down to you know, like you were saying. I think you mentioned the word project. I'm always down to take a chance on a project guy. It's just hard for me, you know. You look at the splits, man, it's like 41% from the field, 31% from three, 67% from the line. I mean, I don't know. That, that's just a hard sell for me, but I 100% get what you're saying. And, like, also, I think we've alluded to this a couple of times now. Whenever you start looking at this draft class, it's it's a weaker draft class than most. I don't have an issue with being like, hey, let's take a chance on this guy. You know, like, he, he has the size. You know, we've seen the flashes. Let's take a chance on him. But that kind of goes for everyone. Like, Usman Jang, who we talked about earlier, I think me and you were just, like, completely out on him. Like, I'm not going to rule out an NBA team looking at him and being like, you know what? Yeah, we can fix this. I feel like NBA teams do that a lot. So I, I feel like anything's in play to a certain extent. Yeah, when you look at draft Twitter every year, there's somebody who has somebody in the lotto and somebody who has them off their board. So, like, if you just scanned every single board in that community, you would always find extreme opinions on everybody. But I think even, like, the consensus opinions on, on like, at least 20 to 30 guys in this league are all over the place and there's no consensus. I mean, there there are definitely going to be guys in this draft that people are completely out on that are going to go first round, guaranteed. I, I It's just clearly going to be a thing, and there's just so little settling of consensus outside of maybe, I'm going to say like a top 9 to 10 right now, guys that are on most boards. Outside of that, it's just kind of like completely anyone's game. Yeah, I mean, look. It, look, the only guy I'm sure with, I, I, I'm only confident in one guy that I can say is going to have a really great NBA career, and that's Paolo. I'm, I'm probably his biggest fan. I was considering going up to uh, Atlanta just to watch him play Georgia Tech. I ended up not doing that because, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't want you know, that, 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 that's a lot of standing work for somebody who's not in the league yet. Um, Yeah. Look, 
I don't know. I need to watch Trevor Kills. I'm gonna go do that now, just for you. Just yeah, I feel like you've kind of you've kind of warmed me up to him. You've kind of I want I want to see the flashes that you're talking about. So that's what I'm gonna definitely do out this. So you know what? I appreciate that, Garrett. Well, well, I'll let you know that I also have a, a Trevor Kills piece in the works um, that'll go out soon enough. I I don't know when, but it, it it's a work in progress at the moment. But uh, I'll be happy to send that your way. No, I'm excited for that. You, I will say, you and the guys over at thelunybin.com, you guys do some phenomenal work. My go-to draft site, personally, I've been saying this for ever since the website launched. I don't go to any other draft site anymore, people. I go straight to them for all my draft content. You know, look, yeah, it's really you know, good we stuff. Have, we we haven't had a lot of content come out in the last couple of months, but that but that's because we've kind of been formulating our strategy for this cycle. You know, we're a few guys who are passionate about this and do it for free. So uh, we're putting together a strategy. We've got some articles that are currently ready to go out, but we're just trying to think of how we want to release them. So uh, look for some content coming out there soon. And if you follow me on Twitter, I can uh, I can assure you you'll know when we come out with it. All right. So before we start wrapping up the podcast, Garrett, I want to give you like a, a minute or so. You know, however long you need to take. You know what? I appreciate your time. We've podcasted for about an hour. Just go ahead and shout out anything you want to. You know, give a shout out to your Twitter. Give a shout out to your grandma. Or whatever you want to, man. Yeah, man. You should follow first the the Looney Bin website, uh, Twitter. It's at draft TLB, draft the Looney Bin TLB. Uh, follow them first, and follow me at half awake at half awake takes. Um, I'm going to start coming out with a lot of uh, video content uh, on my Twitter account. Uh, a lot of clips, a lot of analysis of prospects as I come out with articles that come with them. Uh, just been loading up during the holidays, writing a bunch of content, so I'll be ready to come out with a lot back to back to back here and uh yeah if you if you follow at draft tlb you'll see some of the other guys at the looney bin who do great stuff uh a lot of retweeted the stuff they do and and everyone there does great work and really loves doing what they're doing i mean we're all doing it for free as a as a passion project so definitely check it out yeah i mean look as I said earlier, the Looney Bin, that's my go-to website. Those are my go-to guys for anything draft-related. I feel like you know this from experience. I ever have a draft question, I come to y'all first. And I feel like I feel like more people should do that. So be sure to check out their website. Uh, the link to, you know, Garrett's Twitter, you know, the link to the Looney Bin Twitter, the link to their website will all be in the top of the description of the podcast. But, Garrett, I just wanted to give you a big thank you for, you know, coming on to the podcast. It's something we've planned. I'm going to go and say it now. This went really well. Like, I, I hope you're down to do this again sometime, man. Oh, definitely. I really enjoyed this. I'll definitely be down to come in, especially once like this draft class has settled down a little bit. We got some be- uh, stronger opinions on some of these guys. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I mean, in a few months here, you're gonna be you're gonna be hearing me tell you why I think you know Von Caro is the next Michael Jordan. Look, that's just how it kind of go. Absolutely, let's do it. All right. Well, I, I definitely hope to have you back on. I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you do a lot to come onto the podcast. Um, as always, you know, be sure to, I just want to thank everyone for the recent support, you know, Logan's still healing from COVID and stuff. So he'll be back soon enough. We'll probably be back with something related to the Hawks soon. Uh, thank you to Garrett for coming on for this little draft check-in. Uh, like I said, his, all the Twitter links, you know, link to their website, link to their Twitter account, link to his Twitter account. I'll be at the top description. Be sure to go check him out. Big thank you to him for coming on to the podcast. And as always, thank you for listening to the Hawks podcast. As always, I've been Jackson. Thank you for listening. Have a good week. Goodbye. Love you. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, 
You need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com.